Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly chance to hear the Olive Magazine team talk about their favourite subjects, food, drink and travel. This week, the cookery team, food director Janine and cookery writer Adam talk perfect pasta in celebration of our brilliant Italian issue which is out right now, including why dried is often better than fresh and pasta cooking water is your secret weapon for successful sourcing. Plus, where better to Alex is at Sherry Bar Sack at the Napoleon Hotel in Shoreditch. She's chatting to owners Tom Ask and Barry Wilson about all things, you guessed it, sherry, how it's made, where to drink it and which varieties to go for. First up, here's Janine and Adam. Hi, this is Janine and I'm here today with cookery writer Adam. Hello. Hello, Hello Adam. Hello. Um, we're talking about um, perfect pasta cooking because this month in our issue we've got a lowdown on pasta, which I wrote. Um, Disclaimer, I'm not Italian, obviously, (laughs) but I do eat a lot of pasta. So I was basically um, trying to come up with some really practical tips to give to people um, to sort of take away and improve their pasta cooking, basically. And it's quite a a basic form of cooking and everyone does it. We we all eat tons of pasta. Yeah, Um, but but I think people make lots, not mistakes, but the... Well, yeah, maybe they make lots yeah, of mistakes like in the easy, way they cook it. Yeah, there's, e- there's, there's easy little things that you can, that you can do to, to improve it massively. Yeah, like, yeah. first of all, um, looking at quality. Um, I've got quite a few little um, corner shops, sort of uh, Turkish Middle Eastern shops, and they've got loads of different kinds of pasta. And on a, on a sort of, like, um, night out before, I've, I've bought, on the way home, bought pasta from them, mm. cooked it, and just thought, what, what is, what's up with it's this? It's kind of really wodgy. And yeah. It's not so much the taste, it's more like the texture. Yeah, so basically, yeah. durum wheat pasta, which is, um, you know, what the Italians would consider the best dry pasta. Um, durum wheat is, is a very kind of hard wheat, and mm. um, it's got a lot of gluten in it. And, and what that does is it gives your pasta that particular um, texture and bounce yeah, and bite nice to bite. it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you... Whereas, I mean, to then cook it to al dente is slightly easier because the actual range where it is in al dente is much wider. So you're not hitting like a 30-second period like with with less good pasta, with good pasta. You know that, you know, you've got a couple of minutes, you can take it out of the water, maybe stir it through your sauce and just finish it, toss it, it then it absorbs some of the sauce. Yeah. yeah. Whereas that dodgy pasta I was talking about is actually made with much cheaper flour, which is why it just kind of goes all sticky and a little bit wadgy and a little yeah, bit, yeah. you know, and you and you can't you can't really cook it properly because it, it's not really designed to you know to, to be like that high grade. Um, there's also if you go into um, a deli or supermarket, you'll see it'll say um, push through bronze dyes, which is kind of the next level of, of quality in pasta. And what that does is it gives it this, if you if you feel it, it's got a slight roughness on the yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and what that does is it allows the sauce to cling a little bit more. And think, you will, yeah. think like tossing your steamed potatoes before yeah. you roast them. That then rough edge means that it can just absorb it. In, in, in absorb roast the sauces. Yeah, absorb yeah. the sauce. And you'll find like bronze dye pasta. You don't have to go to, to like a, a super posh deli for it. You will find a lot of supermarket premium ranges are really, really good, good mm. quality. And they'll, they'll, have, they'll have that within that. Um, and talking about dry pasta, like one thing that came up because I've, I've had this argument used to have this argument with my dad a lot because he'd go and buy what he considered better pasta fresh pasta from the supermarket mm. but it's not actually fresh pasta it's no. kind of like long life yeah. pasta so um so there's things you know those pastas that you get in bags um in the chiller cabinet you know they've been treated so they some of them can last about six weeks um which considering it's eggs and yeah. flour and water i mean that should never last yeah. that long so it's part, yeah and and also again that gives you a lot less room to kind of manoeuvre on the cooking and you will find that that stuff cooks really, really, um, overcooks really, really easily. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of fresh pasta. Um, if I've made it or if I've gone to a restaurant and someone's bothered to make it for me, yeah. I absolutely love it. But I think it's, you know, there's a reason why most Italians will eat dried pasta, really good quality dried yeah, pasta yeah. because it's just a better product, yeah. basically. Um, like I've seen, you know, when people use like fresh lasagna sheets to yeah. like cut it up into pepperdelli. Just no, don't don't do that. Don't do it. But do but I I think actually of all the of all the sort of so-called fresh pastas, lasagna sheets are, is quite a good one because yeah. you're not cooking it, you're not double cooking it, you're just putting it straight into the sauce. So that mm-hmm. actually holds up quite well. Um, yeah, one thing I would say is there's some really good frozen filled pastas around. Um, I think the Fresh Pasta Company are one that do them. I think it's a little Welsh company, um, and they do. I found their stuff in the freezer cabinet because pasta actually does freeze really yeah, well yeah, and really cooks well. from freezing really well. So that's one to look out for. And in terms of cooking, we were me and Adam were having this little semi-argument upstairs because I was saying, timing-wise, I I basically just ignore what's on the packet. But maybe that's because I hang around the stove a bit more than you. Because you put your timer on, don't you? I I put my timer on. I I look at the packet and say, right, okay, it says 11 minutes. Right. But that is always a guide. So I'll set nine. Yeah. And and maybe come back every few minutes just to stir it, make sure it's not sticking to the bottom, not make sure it's all separated. And then after nine, I'll start tasting it because I know that... Pasta like cooks completely differently. If you've got a small pan with yeah. not very much water, it will take twenty minutes. Yeah. But a big rolling, huge pan of rolling water where it's like you know lost in the pan, yeah. it will cook in eight minutes. It, yeah. So it depends on what your like what vessel you're cooking it, how much yeah. water's in it. Um, so it is always a guide. Like don't just drain it after like no, no, no. the eleven minutes and expect it to be perfect. You know. See, because I, see, I, I, I kind of do that. But what I do is I just hang around because I think well it's you know it's eight minutes or whatever so I'll put I'll put it in there give it a zhuzh around um and then once once I the water starts changing I'll start fishing bits out and and trying it and I get really kind of quite particular about exactly when I want that pasta to to stop cooking but you know know how you like it then (laughs) my um my girlfriend likes to just completely discount the timings not set a timer and then start tasting it probably after about four minutes it's like mm, yeah it's still raw it's like, yeah I, 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 I could have told you that i could have told you that yeah because i actually sometimes when she's cooking and she's doing pasta i'll set a timer on my phone but not, oh, not let, competitive but, 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 timer man. no 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 but just because i know that she hasn't got a handle on how long it's been Ooh. in so <clears throat> this she'll is, be this... tasting it and i'll you know it'll be four minutes and i'll just be like 
I can tell you now that's not done. I'm not going to say control freak, Adam, but um, <laughs> slightly. No, no, maybe, oh, maybe slightly. We've all been there. There's also this debate about um, some people say that the water should be as salty as the sea, and I think maybe maybe not that salty no. because you you like your sauce is the thing that you're seasoning um i do think you should salt your water yeah. and i think you should salt it reasonably well but um but just I don't a big a big pinch really yeah. that's, that's what i go for but i don't think you should um fish it out and it tastes completely of salt nah. because then you're gonna you know over any sauce the, the yeah sauce exactly is just gonna be, yeah, yeah ruined because that salt does cook into the pasta yeah. and you'll see you're like effectively think of it like you're seasoning the pasta as well as the sauce. So if you if it's salty yeah. and you've you've over seasoned your pasta, that's the way I would look at yeah. it. Yeah, and I do think as well, like you were saying about the big the giant. I mean, I haven't got a ten no. liter pan no. to cook stuff in. So what I do, like with spaghetti, I'll keep a really close eye on it at the beginning because that that's a pasta that can stick to as yeah. long as you if agitate. It sticks, it'll yeah. sticks at the start basically. As long as you agitate yeah. at the start, it will never stick. Yeah, it at will the never end. stick. Yeah, but um, but if you don't agitate it, you will end up with a nice <laughs> a nice yeah, little. Yeah. Pasta me, pancake. It's, it's, yeah, it's easier to eat that way. You, don't have you to, can just pick it up and chew yeah, on exactly. it. Like a, you can you know. just stab it with your fork, big yeah. wadges with your, with your fork. <laughs> and we were also talking about, um, you know, the, the idea of, which people might find a bit grim, but it's, it's, it's brilliant and it's sort of revolutionised my pasta cooking, like adding the pasta cooking water to your sauce to finish mm. it off. So... So, you know, you'll drain the pasta, just keep a tiny cup of water and it'll just help emulsify everything, especially if you're making something like a carbonara. Yeah, which you is, really need Which that. is a kind of cream, you know, well, it's, it hasn't got cream in it. I, I don't make it with cream. No, no. <laughs> no, backtrack. So you've got trouble. Um, just egg yolks and, um, and parmesan for me. Thank yeah. you. No um, bacon. Oh, well, uh, bacon. Or guanciale. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. and guanciale, which yeah. is pig, cured pig cheek. <laughs> I'm not going to completely check out the rule book. No, no. But yeah, just adding that little bit of pasta sauce will really, really help you mm. emulsify. So pasta cooking water will really help you emulsify and bring everything together. And you can add it a bit of the time. And you, what you can also do, which I do a lot, is using tongs to pick up your pasta and put it straight into the sauce and then finishing it over yeah. the heat as you said like stop just a tiny bit before it's all done and then pick it up put it into the sauce keep on cooking and then yeah. that kind of melds the pasta and the sauce i always sort of as a rule over re- reduce my sauces because it's much easier to yeah, add a little a bit idea, of liquid yeah. in but if it's already a bit thin and you're adding weights, then you're, oh, then, which probably yeah. has water on it i mean it's it's much harder to then you have to like simmer it then you're going to overcook the pasta potentially yeah so yeah i always just over reduce my sauces to what i would like them to like that eating yeah and then it's just easy and you can just let them out to where it's exactly easier to let it down pasta, afterwards yeah. yeah let's talk about those sauces I, I was thinking like what my favorite sauce is um i've got a couple the first one is is like pure um well it's kind of it's kind of what i would call posh student because you've got to have faith in your um you know your ingredients yeah, as in you, you, yeah. re- you've got your really good dried pasta then um loads of olive oil garlic and dried chili flakes and I, that is just for me thinking about it now my mouth's watering because i just mm. know how good that tastes yeah. it's really simple but it's got so much flavor in it yeah and you can you can put tons of parmesan on or not but it, it works either way for me yeah. but what? you need a bit of pasta water in that because the oil and the water will emulsify and yeah, get yeah, nice cling. yeah like slick and mm. kind of slippery and that that's that's great like on a spaghetti or a linguine that's my that's yeah. my go-to there's mine. nothing in the cupboard yeah <laughs> mine would be um some garlic and chili flakes fried in good olive oil extra yeah. virgin i would like for that i would definitely cook in extra virgin olive oil and then uh, just a, t- a tin of 
uh, plum tomatoes, not chopped tomatoes, plum whole tomatoes, because as a rule, they're generally better quality. Mm. They're, they're, when they're kept whole, they're better quality than the chopped tomatoes. They're usually more sour and yep. not as nice. Well, they're more, they're more uh, watery, aren't they? Yeah, and then just chop them up with like a metal spoon, simmer it for like 20 minutes. Super simple. Yeah, and part like a equal amounts of pasta to parmesan. Almost. Really? Okay. Almost. Cheese boy. Yeah. <laughs> My other one, anyone who follows me on Instagram will know that um, Mondays is Spagmon Mondays in my house. Uh, we started with a, a flatmate of ours about, God, almost 20 years ago. And what, um, you were about 15 then, I yeah, Of yeah. course, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and for some reason, like having Spagmon on a Monday is just really like super comforting mm. and and, and because of that, over the years in Olive, I've literally written about six or seven different like variations on a spag yeah, bol, yeah. including a no, um, no, no, no fry baked spag bol. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a one pot. It's it's and it is amazing. <laughs> it's obviously you, you can tell a lot of work's gone into it because the ratio of liquid and how it's going to cook down <laughs> and it's all been carefully planned and thought out. Yeah, and you just chuck it all in the pan. Bang it in the oven for what an hour, a couple of hours. Yeah, you or so? basically what you have to do is you, you you mix it all together in the pan, including like raw meat and sauce and everything. It, so, it sounds really bizarre, and then you put foil under the top of the um between the lid and the pot, so you create Keep this all that moisture seal, in. Yeah. and you put it in quite a high oven for an hour and a bit, and it kind of bakes it. But because of the high heat, it's sort of it browns it as you're well. You're still getting it's that re- roasting. Yeah, it's not just sweating. Yeah, you it still is, get that, is roasting. Um, yeah. And it's just been, it was a revelation because as soon as I did it, I thought, okay, this is a bit dirty. You know, <laughs> have you crossed the line here yeah, with cooking? Yeah. And, and loads of people absolutely love it because it's just, it's just really easy. And, you know, I, I can still also spend hours making a really deep ragu and, you know, browning the meat yeah, and adding yeah. it all in and putting in chicken livers and everything. I can do that as well. Yeah, but yeah. just once in a while, you just, ah, you want, just want the, to throw it all in. You want the quick thing. But yeah. And I think the testament to how good a recipe is, is how much the team cook it as well. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those, because obviously we come into contact with lots of recipes and we have lots of ideas and everyone wants to eat it. But that one always crops up as Janina did that. Uh, no, <laughs> no. did that. No, no, and I'm like, no fry. Damn uh, you. I've those. spent years creating these incredible, like, multi layered recipes. Yeah. And then I just do. A super cheap one, and everybody loves it. But that, I mean, you know, we we all we all have busy lives, so that's just a testament to the fact that mm. um, you know sometimes you just can't be bothered, and you just need something that's a little bit simple. Yeah, and it was, it's a great thing if you could buy everything on a Sunday, put it in the oven. You don't, you literally, you just put it all in. Yeah, walk away. Set a timer, walk yeah, away, yeah. and then that's yeah. you. You've got, you know, you've, exactly. you can freeze some. You've got a meal for Monday yeah. or whatever. It's it's a <laughs> it's a cracker. Well, hope those tips uh, work for you. We've got absolutely tons of pasta recipes on and collections on olivemagazine.com too. So thanks very much for chatting, Adam. Cheers. Next, here's Alex talking sherry in Shoreditch. Hello there, I'm Alex and I'm at the Napoleon Suite and the Napoleon Hotel in Shoreditch, um, but we'll come back to that later. Um, but I'm going to have a little bit of a chat about sherry because sherry's become really trendy again over the past couple of years, um, helped by all the great tapas bars that are opening up. Um, and I'm at SAC, um, which is downstairs, which is one of London's dedicated sherry bars. I'm talking to Tom Ask and Barry Wilson about how 
sherry's made and some unique blends to try as well as where to drink it in the UK. So, um, hello guys. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> so can you start by giving us a quick lowdown on what sherry really is? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fundamentally sherry is a wine. Uh, it's yeah. a wine that's produced in a southern area of Spain, uh, commonly known as the sherry triangle between three points being Jerez, uh, San Luca del Barameda, and uh, Porto Santa Maria. And um, yeah, it's a wine that is fortified mm-hmm. using a grape-based spirit to different levels of strength, depending on the style of sherry that's being made, which also will then affect the, um, the production process in terms of it being biologically aged versus naturally aged, essentially. Okay, so, um, so you spoke of the tiny little triangle in Andalusia. Um, so... What's, why is that so special in terms of how it creates the unique variety of yeah, fortified the, wine? There's, um, I mean, historically, the area basically is renowned for shipping and merchants. So the beginning mm-hmm. of it would come, I mean, would go back to the Phoenicians. So going back, um, cultivating grapes in that particular area, area, mainly because of the terroir. So the type of soil, which is called albariza, which is a chalky soil, uh, which is fantastic because it retains a lot of the moisture. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously, if you can imagine that that particular part of Spain is quite arid and dry yes. and hot. Uh, when it does rain, it tends to be quite a heavy rainfall and therefore you need a soil that's going to retain that moisture um, to allow the grapes to grow, obviously, efficiently. So, yeah, terroir, temperature, uh, the type of soil in that particular area is perfect. And, of course, in terms of the, you know, the historical popularity of sherry, which is definitely improving and coming back now but historically at one time it was the widest shipped type of wine in the world because of where where it sits geographically uh it was perfect for for people like christopher columbus and uh magellan basically traveling around the world taking with them these casks of sherry amazing so um what grapes are used to create so you've got uh palomino which is the main one for fino you've got um you have uh, pedro jimenez which tends to produce a uh, sweeter style of wine um they would normally sort of uh, they'll dry that out and the third one is uh muscatel so um but yeah most of the sherries or a lot of the production of sherries mainly with palomino so there's three grape varieties, and how do they create different types of sherry? Because I know there's lots of different types of sherry, aren't there? There are different types of sherry. Um, there's two grapes. Basically, the Palomino grape is a dry grape, mm-hmm. um, beautiful, fruity, dry grape. Uh, the Pedro Jimenez grape uh, is a sweeter uh, style of grape. So that's your two base grapes. It can get complicated because you can mix the grapes together to create, you know, that perfect balance of sweet and dry um but essentially the uh palomino grape will make four styles of sherry so you've got the fino manzanilla uh, montelado or apollo catardo and the pedro jimenez makes a pedro jimenez style uh sherry so that's that's the simplest way to look Sounds at it fantastic yeah. scottish accent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm sure that's exactly how they pronounce it in uh, yeah. yeah pedro jimenez <laughs> Jimenez. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a very um, strong accent down yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. So, it's, uh, well, if you've ever been uh, to the south yeah. of Spain, but you, you used to live there. Yeah. Um, that, that's how everyone talks. Yeah. <laughs> it's very. Th- 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 yes. yes. Um, and Oloroso, that's made from. Yeah, Oloroso is uh, generally made from the Palomino grape, and obviously it's aged. And, um, so is that uh, the strongest, like, you know, the most not, fortified? What, what, what happens basically is that, it, obviously, if you look at the, um, the colour in sherry particularly, 
So you look at a Fino that's obviously quite light straw coloured, um, down to an Oloroso that becomes obviously a little bit darker, sort of mm-hmm. almost a reddish hue down to the PX that's obviously quite dark. The main difference really is the, uh, as I say, the biological ageing, which essentially what is happening is that they are putting it into a cask and uh, allowing it obviously to age in that cask to a point where they have a choice. There's a, a, um, a floor basically that forms on the top of the sherry um, and that's what protects it from oxidisation basically. So as that begins to form, the choice is do you increase the ABV significantly or sufficiently for it to kill off this floor? Right. Uh, which then means that that will die, fall to the bottom as a yeast, essentially, and then it will continue to age in cask. Um, the colour's not actually coming so much from the cask, but from oxidisation. So with something like an Oloroso, for example, they will do some, do that, basically, to allow it to develop or oxidise to a certain extent, as opposed to a Fino, where they won't, hence the colour, it stays a, a really light, sort of dry, salty, straw, uh, straw-coloured, salty, light, dry, a um, little bit of acidity in there as well. And, and as Tom said, one, one of the this is a top tip here, um, based on the color as well, it is to do with oxidization, as Tom said. So, if you've got a light sherry, you know, a fino or manzanilla, then um, the, probably the shelf life when you open it is going to be like a wine. It's going to be sort okay. of three days. But the darker the sherry is, you know, it's, it's, it's more robust it is as well because the oxidization's already happened. So, you know, like a, a Pedro Jimenez, you can have open in a fridge yeah. for. You know, well, I, it doesn't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we can just put. It, we have to put it in the fridge, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the fridge is going to keep it longer. But things that you so basically, if it's clear, you know, think about it. You've you've got about two to three days to drink it. If you've you know, a bottle of sherry won't last uh, yeah. you know, two to three minutes in Tom's <laughs> fridge. But <laughs> it's quite quite an interesting one actually about the the perception of obviously color versus age in yeah. well in in wine and in spirits. But of course, when you look at something like a whiskey, where it tends to be that the darker it is, the longer it's spent in cask, doesn't work like that in when it comes to wine or with sherry. So obviously, some of the the, the um, barrels that are used in the Solera system, for example, can be a hundred years old. So oh, that okay. you know they're they're um, they're giving a limited amount of flavour, but allowing for blend, a blending purpose, basically. Unlike you might find, say, an American whiskey where the casks are brand new, which mm. means that as they're being charred or toasted. It's giving off a lot more characteristic. Um, so it, with what I'm trying to say really is that I guess when you look at a sherry that's been in cask for quite a while, the actual character that you're taking into that sherry is less from the cask as it is about the production process, right. um, i.e., yeah, is it biolog- biologically aged? Is it, um, you know, is it aged like an Oloroso where you're bringing the ABV, ABV up and allowing it to oxidise? Something like a Pedro Jimenez, you know, how much sugar sugar are you adding into there? You know, because the sugar sort of content within a PX, I think it's up to 400 grams a litre, which is obviously an enormous, <laughs> amount, an enormous amount of sugar. And I have to say, I absolutely love Pedro Jimenez um, as, a, as a sherry. And it's also a fantastic cocktail ingredient as well. Um, yeah. Any in, tips for making a cocktail with Pedro Jimenez? Yeah, I, personally, I would use it. Um, I like to use it as a sweetening agent in place of sugar because it is obviously incredibly sweet, but it's mm-hmm. also incredibly rich. So you've got all of these uh, these notes of things like stewed fruits, dates, figs, prunes. It's a real concentration of, um, of sort of buried fruits as well. So you could say, for example, if you were going to make a, uh, I don't know, say a whiskey sour, you right. might you could put into there a, a small proportion of a Pedro Jimenez sherry, which will in turn draw out some of the key characteristics of a whiskey. Um, 
especially one that's aged in European cask or um, uh, European oak as opposed to American oak, intend to find that that style of oak gives you those similar characteristics to a Pedro Jimenez light, fruits, raisins, dates, figs. So that's how I would personally do it. Yeah. It could work very well in something like an old-fashioned. So yeah. you could go... You could or, or, or lay fashion. <laughs> or lay fashion, Is definitely. that one of your cocktails? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, well done. Tell us about the or fashion. I, I think it's one of the one of the best names of a cocktail. Yeah, that, um, I like that. that yeah. It's genius, whoever came. <laughs> but yeah, it's Was just... I, I, <laughs> 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 I think it might have been. I think it might have been me. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, um, it was Tom, and um, so yeah, as, as Tom said, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's that using the Pedro Jimenez as a, as a sweetening agent as opposed to sugar, and uh, in, in, in any cocktail, but it works really well in an old fashioned. So using rye, stir it down with some Pedro Jimenez, a little bit of bitters, and it's beautiful. Like, even something like the Macallan, where the Macallan is a whiskey. Um, which is where the kind of story of this all began, really, because we were doing some work for them. The, wait, well, wait, Barry, wait. Barry was doing some work for them. But the point is, is, is that McAllen use, um, they use sherry casks um, and they, they have and work with cooperages uh, in Hereth. Um, and so there is a synergy between the flavours that you'll find in, say, McAllen sherry cask that you'll find in Pedro Jimenez. Okay. Uh, although they're Oloroso casts that they use, but even so, what you'll do, let's say you make an old-fashioned, you might use 40 millilitres, say, of Macallan, and you might use 20 millilitres of uh, Pedro Jimenez and some bitters versus a traditional old-fashioned where you might use five millilitres of sugar mm-hmm. or a sugar cube, depending on how you want to, whichever route you want to go down, and a larger quantity of whiskey. So it's it, essentially for me... Sweeter. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, a, a much, much sweeter style. Um, it's very much, for me, a dessert-style sherry that you would have, obviously, after a meal as a, a digestif. Um, but, yeah, from our perspective, what we're trying to do, especially in SAC, is to is to introduce people to sherry by using yeah. cocktails and uh, flavour as a mechanic to get them into it. Um, Great, yeah, so because um, what I want to talk a little bit about sack as well because it's a very interesting concept because we've, there's loads of tapas bars, like Barafina yeah. is like one of my favourites um, in the country. Same. Um, it's amazing, isn't so it? So good. The yeah. tortilla is food heaven. I don't actually like tortilla, but... What? No, I know. Living Can, in Spain, not like yeah. a tortilla is you, not great. You, you, but, you, Sorry, what? Yeah, sorry. Um, but you're doing something a bit different, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So you, you've got a dedicated sherry bar. So tapas takes very much a second, yeah. like second place, not, an afterthought almost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see that yeah, later. Yeah. Um, but so why did you decide to open a sherry bar? Like, it's yeah. a very interesting concept. So, do you, do, you want, do you want me to tell the story? <laughs> I, I, I'll tell it from my Apparently angle. Apparently, there's an interesting story <laughs> yeah. behind this. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Interesting, yeah. So, so how it how it all how it all began um, was that, as I've said, um, Barry uh, Barry and Scotch Limon were doing some work uh, with the Macallan as a brand out in Hereth, basically. Um, again, going back to the sort of links between sherry casks that are used in aging the Macallan. So, obviously, there's a massive link there between the whiskey and sherry. Um, he kindly asked me to uh, come along and see if I would do a talk on basically the sort of historical links between sherry and whiskey and also sort of the history of the area, really, mm-hmm. um, which is nowadays a, a little bit more rusty, but even so, it's a fascinating story. And we did this. Uh, we also did um, a seminar on sustainability and the use of whiskey and particularly sherry and the lo- locality of ingredients. Anyway, so we, we were out there in Hereth. Uh, I, fortunately, I went out there three times last year doing this seminar, and on the second trip, 
Um, it was actually Fabrice Barry's business partner who I was there with. Um, and we'd been to a cooperage called Tavassa, which is, there are two main cooperages that um, McAllen used basically for their casks. And we'd obviously had an incredible time in Hereth and oh, we're pretty much fallen in love with it, really. And yeah. even now, I've always said that if there was anywhere in the world that I could or want to live, if I could retire and go and buy a place, it'd be around that area. And genuinely, it was a, it was a passing comment as we were in this in this in this cooperage. We said I said to Fabrice, or I can't remember, it was one of us said to each other, said we should open a sherry bar. Bearing in mind we weren't like we weren't business partners, <laughs> and and what actually happened was uh, six months later we did it, and it oh, was it oh. was a, it was a culmination of factors that all fell into place, but mainly because. Tristan and I basically had been on the lookout for a new site anyway. Um, we were looking for a new bar. And the bar that we were going to uh, take, which is not far from here, I won't name what it is, but anyway, the, the landlord pulled it from us at the last minute. So I contacted the landlord here and he said, yeah, happily, you know, happily let you take the rest of the building on. And the ground floor was absolutely perfect for the concept that we had in mind, basically. Um, and, I mean, we could, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll go into it in a bit more detail, but the premise, essentially, is to basically simplify the sherry category by talking entirely about flavour, um, okay. not about brand, because the reality of the situation is, I find, anyway, um, I always look at it and I go, well, if I were to ask my mum, uh, you know, what... Well, probably not Tia Pepe. She would know Tia Pepe. But yeah. <laughs> if I were to ask my mum what Lustau Paprusa is or something like that, it doesn't really mean anything no. to anyone. So... Rather than do that, we talk about flavour. Everyone gets flavour. Everyone understands what they enjoy mm -hmm. eating. So rather than do that, you go, right, you, you know, do you like savoury? Do you like sweet? Do you like, um, you know, chocolate notes or fruity? Um, and then guide them into a sherry that they may enjoy. Okay. Um, so what would you recommend for someone coming in and just trying something a bit different, like a unique sherry? That, that's the thing and as Tom said uh, the, the, we've got the board so it takes you from sweet to dry from to nutty to fruity um, I've actually got a sherry in my hand right now yes um, <laughs> the, uh, and this is something completely different I, I know Tom's got a different one but for me this is the Tio Pepe and Rama uh, 2017 and it's um, it's unfiltered and, and and what that it just gives it this funkiness uh, it's, it's incredible and it's a savoury note as well. It's, um, I, um, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it reminds me of, sort of like pickled onion monster munch. Right. A little okay. bit. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, <laughs> harking back very, to... very, very specific. Yeah, and um, it's just incredible. And it's getting back to that, why we, why we created SAC, why we opened SAC as well, it was, it was for moments like this, really. You know, having, having a cold sherry in your hand and just enjoying it um it's a sophisticated way of drinking uh which is <laughs> which we're not really used to really so within it, this country you're supposed to sip on it is that the idea? yeah yeah sip on it um you know you can um have a have a sherry layback uh, <laughs> you know um which which you're gonna have to do before you leave yeah yeah i think so i think we're, we're probably running out of time now i'm afraid um i'd love to talk about sherry all evening but um i think we're gonna go and try some aren't we Anna? sherry layback Yes, a sherry layback. Yeah. Yes, it's a thing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you all informed um, on our social media channels. So, um, thank you very much for chatting with us, and yeah, I look forward to trying the sherries. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to another cracking episode of the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love it if you could do us a massive favour and take a few minutes to quickly review and rate us on iTunes, as that means as many food fans as possible get the chance to listen to us. And sharing is caring. Plus, remember, if you never want to miss an episode, you can subscribe for free via Acast, iTunes or your favourite podcast app. For more like this, you can also head to olivemagazine.com, of course, or you can buy Olive Magazine, the actual physical comic, in all good supermarkets and newsagents, or you can read it on your smartphone via our Swish Olive Magazine app. Until next time, dear listeners, happy cooking, happy eating, happy drinking, and we'll see you next week.